would you open your Bibles, please, to the book of Psalms. I want us to focus on one verse tonight out of the 34th Psalm. And this is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And I think it is a good thing for us to focus on tonight. Now, at the candlelight service each year, we focus on the fact that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. I think about that passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 4 where it says, after Jesus had come on the scene and began ministering to the people, the Bible says, those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And so all those years before Jesus came, there was darkness. There were unfulfilled promises from God, and there was sin in the world, and there was no real hope that the people could look to. The sins had not been paid for. But once Jesus came, there was light in the world. And so tonight, as we have our candlelight service, first of all, we focus on the fact that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. One of the things Jesus said is just that. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Say that with me. I am the light of the world. And so for our dark world, Jesus is the light. He's the one who brightens things up. Now, while that is certainly true, there's also a sense in which you are the light of the world, and which I'm the light of the world. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount just that. He said, Matthew 5, 16, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And so we are supposed to shine our light for Jesus Christ. We, as the body of Christ on this earth, keep in mind, during this time in which we live, we are the body of Christ on the earth. Jesus Christ is not on the earth in his physical body. We, the Bible says, are the body of Christ. And so the way that Christ's light can be uh, shown and permeate the world in which we live is by those of us who are Christians who have Jesus Christ living in our hearts. And so as I think about that, I think the question is, how can we be a bright light in a dark world? I mean, obviously the world in which we live is filled with much darkness and we don't want to bemoan that fact or just curse the darkness, but we want to try to shine the light of Christ into the darkness. And the question is, how can we do that? Well, I wrote out some things as I was preparing this message, some practical ways that we can, that we can be a bright light in a dark world. One of those would certainly be to share our faith. Every time you share Christ with another person, what are you doing? You are brightening up that person's world, at least potentially. You are sharing with that person who's going through some kind of darkness in their life how Jesus Christ can change them, and maybe in some cases, certainly in some cases, He can and will even change their circumstances. Another way we can brighten up a dark world is by helping those in need. Every time we reach out to someone or give money to somebody or buy something for somebody, what are we doing? We're just, we're just being a bright light to that person. Sometimes you can go on a mission trip and be a bright light. This past year, our church has taken several mission trips to, to different places. And what have those mission teams done? Well, what they've tried to do is to brighten up the place that they have gone to. Sometimes we can be a bright light right here in our own city by doing mission projects and by partnering with others who are trying to, to help others in Christ's name. And so there are a lot of ways that we, can, that we can brighten up this world. Did you know one of the best ways that we can be a bright light in a dark world is to come to church? I was thinking that tonight when I drove up and I saw all the cars in the parking lot on the north side and on the south side, and I thought, and I don't know that I can prove this because I haven't uh, got, uh, done a study on this, but I would think that tonight, 
There are more cars in the parking lot of First Baptist Church in Pasadena than in any other establishment in town. There's no restaurant that would have parking lots that big. There's no restaurant in this town that would have as many people in it as we have in church tonight. Now, Walmart might give us a run for our money. I don't know. (laughs) That'd be pretty close, Walmart and First Baptist. But I was thinking this. As many cars as there are in the parking lot tonight, there will probably be more cars drive up and down Fairmont, up and down Center Street, up and down Red Bluff. And when they do, they can't help but look over here and see not only the church, but to see all the cars in the parking lot. And what does that say to those people who are driving by? It says that church is open for business. It says something is happening at that church. It makes those people think about God. Did you know that when you put your car in that parking lot tonight, you caused people to think about God more than they would had the lights been off and the parking lots been empty? And so just by coming to church tonight, you have been, at least to some extent, A bright light in a dark world. And so there are a lot of ways that we can do that. But what I want us to think about in the brief time that we have tonight, I want us to think about another way that we can be a bright light in a dark world. And it might be the best way of all, and that is to have a radiant countenance. A radiant countenance. There's something about a person who has a magnetic personality, I don't mean that it's fake and put on or contrived, but I mean if it's coming out of the heart, if it's genuine, if it's coming, you know, the Bible says a merry heart doeth good like medicine. And so if a person has a merry heart, that merry heart is going to show on that person's face. And so one of the best things that we can do is to have a bright countenance and to have a merry heart. I think so many times as Christians, we go into a department store and and, uh, when we're checking out there, The person who has been taking our money and running all the things through, maybe they say, instead of saying Merry Christmas to us, what do they say today so many times? They say, Happy Holidays. And there's something about that that makes us think, well, now, why didn't you just say Merry Christmas? This is Christmas. You don't, you don't, don't just take Christ out of it. It's, don't, it's Christmas. Don't just say Happy Holidays. But you know, I think some well-meaning Christians who so badly want to take a stand for Christ, when they hear somebody at Target or Walmart or H-E-B or Dillard's or wherever we are, when we hear somebody say, Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas, I think some well-meaning Christians trying to do right do more damage to the name of Christ by saying something like this. With an angry look on their face, they'll point at that person and say, It's Christmas, and I want you to have a Merry Christmas. Jesus came to this earth so you could be happy like I am. And that person's thinking, I'm already happier than you are. Why would I want that? So, you know, if somebody says happy holidays to me, I don't try to, you know, I don't feel like it's my job to correct people. If somebody says happy holidays to me, I normally would say, well, happy holidays and Merry Christmas. And I would try to just say that happily. Because I think sometimes if we're combative and things like that, when we walk off, Those people are probably thinking, that's another reason I don't go to church, or that's another reason that uh, I'm not a Christian. And so we want to have a countenance. You know, the Bible says that we're to speak the truth in love, and so we don't ever want to compromise the truth, but we want to speak it in love, not anger, or not something like that. But look in Psalm 34, and let's begin in verse number four. This is a psalm by David. I love this fourth verse, kind of sets up the fifth verse, but David said this, I sought the Lord, and he heard me. And delivered me from all my fears. And then verse 5. They looked to him and were radiant 
and their faces were not ashamed. But look at that first phrase of the fifth verse. They looked to him and were radiant. Now that word radiant could be translated bright, could be translated cheerful, it could be translated sparkling. What the Bible is saying is that those who look to Jesus Christ have a radiance about them. They have a glow about them, a brightness about them, a cheerfulness about them. It's that merry heart on the inside that can't help but come across on the outside. And so what I want us to think about think about tonight is how can we have a radiant countenance? How can we be one of those people who brighten up a room? You know, some people just brighten up a room when they walk into it. The room may have been kind of blah and dull, but here comes this happy, vivacious, cheerful, radiant person, and they just brighten up the room when they walk in. Some people brighten up the room when they walk out, and you're like, okay, good, they're gone, so now we can be happy again. We don't want to be that person. We want to be the person who brightens up the room when we walk into it. So let me give you three things just to jot down tonight. Number one, Here's the question now. How can we have a radiant countenance? Number one, a radiant countenance comes from a relaxed attitude. From a relaxed attitude. In other words, if you're stressed out and uptight, if you're on edge all the time, well, it's going to be hard for you to have a radiant countenance because what's inside comes outside. So if you're not relaxed, you're going to be more stern and you're going to be more worried and you're going to have more anxiety on your face, but a radiant countenance comes from a relaxed attitude. Jot this verse down. In Proverbs chapter 14, Proverbs 14 and verse 30, the Bible says a relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. Think about that. If you're relaxed, you're going to live longer. And not only are you going to live longer, you're going to live better because it's going to be good for your body, good for your soul, and you're going to have more of a radiance about you. So that leads to the next question. Well, how can I have a relaxed attitude? In this stressful world with so many things to do, and I know probably even tonight some of you are thinking, I still have gifts to buy, food to buy, food to cook, uh, trips to, that, I, you know, you've got a trip ahead of you, miles to travel, and you're thinking this, okay, if a relaxed attitude is what produces a radiant countenance, how can I have a relaxed attitude? Isn't that what everybody wants? Everybody wants to be relaxed. And yet, so many times, we're not. Even those of us who want to be relaxed and try to be relaxed, sometimes we, we're the most uptight of all. So how can we be relaxed? Well, That would be a whole sermon, and I think even at the end of the sermon, I don't think we could exhaust that because I think there are a lot of answers to that question. Sometimes we need to change our schedule. Sometimes we need just to slow the pace of life down. There are a lot of things we need to do many times to be more relaxed. But look at your outline tonight. One of the things that will give us a relaxed attitude is is knowing this. A relaxed attitude, at least in part, comes from a rock-solid faith. In other words, if your faith is right, there is a sense in which the pressure will be off of your life. Theology is very important. What you believe about God matters. And if you have a rock-solid faith in God, that in itself, even if you don't make any other changes to your schedule or your lifestyle or your work responsibility, if you just have a rock-solid faith, you're going to be more relaxed. You say, now, John, explain that a little, little bit more. Well, by a rock-solid faith, I mean a faith that says God is in control of my life. You see, if you believe that God is in control, you really believe that. And we would all say, yes, I believe that. But when we get out there in life, 
We have to really believe that God is in control. This past week, I took my car to the car wash. I just drove it through. It had it just hadn't done that in a long time. And when I got finished, I got home, and I was kind of looking over it, and I noticed that on both sides of my car, there were all kind of white marks. And I thought, well, now my car's worse than it was before I went to the car wash. And so I thought, well, now what can I do to get these uh, these white spots off. And so I called a friend and I said, what would you recommend that I do to get these uh, white spots off my car? I said, I think when I went through the car wash, I don't know if the, those things, the, the big rolling brushes like that, if they had a rock in there or something, but it, I got to get these white spots off. And my, per, my friend said, well, what you ought to do is get one of those magic erasers that sometimes you use to clean your pots and pans and go out there and rub it across your, uh, those spots and everything will be better. And so I said, okay. And, and so I went in the garage and I started rubbing that magic eraser on there. And when I got finished, it's true, the white spots were gone, but now I had smudges all over my car. <laughs> and so I looked up on a YouTube, I Googled, can you, can you put magic eraser on a car? And it said, this is a bad idea. And I thought, I should have Googled that before I did it. But there was a 10-minute video, and this guy said, if you're ever dumb enough to do this, there's a way out. And he talked about the way out. And I thought, well, now, I don't have the tools to do what I need. And so the next day, I called another friend. I said, I can never call friend one again, because that was horrible counsel. So I called friend two. And friend two said, well, there's a fella on Preston Road at Ted's Auto Parts, Ted's Auto Shop, a fellow named Tommy up there owns that place, and if you'll take it up there, he can polish it, he can wax it, he can buff it, he can wash it out, clean it all out. So I took it up there on Thursday, and he got it out, and you know, while I was there, I said, Tommy, this is the most amazing thing that I've ever seen. I said, while I'm here, do you notice how dirty my headlights are? He said, they're looking pretty bad. And I said, you think you could buff those out? He said, absolutely. And so he just buffed those out and cleaned them out. And I paid him what I owed him. And I drove off. And I thought, you know, my car was dirty. I took it to a car wash. It got worse. I tried to fix it. I made it really worse. Tommy got it better. Now I got new headlights. I'm telling you, God worked everything out for good. And so sometimes in life, we have to remember whatever we're going through, God's in control and he's going to work it out. So if you want to be more relaxed, just believe that. Let me give you a couple of verses. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Most of you know this verse. It's a great verse. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. And so a rock solid faith says, God, my car's messed up. The health may be messed up. The finances may be messed up. The family situation may be messed up. But you're in control, and I trust you. Another verse, Job chapter 13 and verse 15. Job had gone through all these problems in his life. And what did Job finally say? Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now, there's a man with a rock-solid faith. And he said, I'm going to trust God with all my heart. Now, that leads us to the next question. How can we have a rock-solid faith? If a radiant countenance comes from a relaxed attitude, and a relaxed attitude, at least in part, comes from a rock-solid faith, God, I trust you, you're in control, it's all going to work out just fine. Here's the question, how can I have a rock-solid faith? Well, write this down. A rock-solid faith comes from a right focus. From a right focus. If you want to have strong faith, sometimes you'll hear somebody say, and we've all felt this way, but a person will say, I just feel like my faith is so weak. I need stronger faith. Listen, friend, your need is not stronger faith. Your need is to take the faith that you have, be it weak or strong or somewhere in the middle, and put that faith in Jesus, and that faith will grow. Faith is like money. 
If you put it in the right place and keep it there long enough, it will grow. And so Jesus said, if you have the faith of the mustard seed, then you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be done. And so we don't need stronger faith necessarily. We need to just take the little faith we have and put it in Jesus. What am I saying here? A rock-solid faith comes from a right focus. To put your faith and to focus it on the person of Jesus Christ and to say, Lord, whatever happens, whichever way this thing goes, I am trusting in you. You know, as I was preparing this sermon and thinking about our faith and the importance of putting our faith in Jesus Christ, I mean, that's how we ever got saved to begin with. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. Here's a little child, and that child is under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and that child wants to be saved. And that child doesn't understand everything about the Bible, and neither do those of us who are adults. That child doesn't understand everything about God or the uh, crucifixion or uh, the substitutionary death of Jesus. They don't understand all that, and neither do we fully understand it. But here's a child who comes to Jesus and says, Lord, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. And in childlike faith, that person receives Jesus. Jesus Christ. What are they? Does that child have lots of faith or well-developed faith? No, but that child just takes their little childlike faith, puts it in Jesus Christ, and that child is saved. What did Jesus say? Jesus said in Matthew 18, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes we think a child needs to become more like an adult. In fact, friend, the, the truth is we need to become more like children and just trust God with childlike faith. But as I was preparing this sermon, I thought, you know, the Christian life could be, this is an oversimplification of the Christian life, but it nonetheless makes the point. Here it is in a nutshell. God wants you to focus on Him and be happy. The devil wants you to focus on anything and everything but God and be miserable. There's the, we talk about we're in a spiritual battle, and we are, and that battle has a lot of different fronts to it. But at the core of our spiritual battle, you have God on the one side saying, focus on me, look to me, trust in me, and have peace, and be happy. And you have the devil over here saying, what about this circumstance? What about this person who doesn't like you? What about these people who are talking behind your back? Or what about this particular situation? And so, like Peter, when he was walking to Jesus on that Sea of Galilee, many times we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put our eyes on something else and we begin to sink and we begin to go down because we've taken our eyes off Jesus. Now, the challenge in the Christian life, I mean, this is, this is like really Christianity in a nutshell. The challenge of the Christian life is to keep your focus on Jesus no matter what it is that you're going through. You know, I think there are many people, and I used to be in this category, many people who are truly saved, and yet they don't have the full assurance of their salvation because the devil has somehow gotten that person to focus on something other than Jesus. Many times I'll talk to somebody who's not sure that they're saved and I'll say, now why are you doubting your salvation? And when I hear them tell me why they're doubting their salvation, it's the same reasons I used to doubt mine. They'll say something like this. They'll say, well, John, I'm just not sure that when I got saved, if I had enough faith. And so what are they doing? They're putting now their focus on their faith. Instead of looking to Christ, they're looking to their faith. And the devil has them examining their faith. And they're saying, my faith, when I got saved, I don't think my faith was strong enough. Maybe I wasn't even saved. Or another person will say, 
when I thought I got saved and maybe I got saved, I'm just not sure if I really repented enough of all my sins. And I just, I don't think I understood enough and I don't think I repented enough. And so now that person's focus is on their repentance and they're thinking, I'm not sure if I'm truly saved because my repentance is not good enough. Or maybe somebody will just say, well, you know, I'm not sure that I'm saved because my salvation experience took place 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. And, and you know, I just can't remember all the intricate details about my salvation experience. And so now that person is focusing on their salvation experience. Instead of looking to Christ and trusting Christ, they're looking to some experience many years in the past. And as we get older, our memory is not as strong. And so they're saying, since I can't remember everything about that experience, maybe I'm not saved. Listen to me, friend. That is a trick of the devil. If he can get you to look at your repentance, your faith, your prayer, your experience, you'll never have the full assurance of your salvation. But if you can take your focus off of those things and put them on Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm trusting in you, you will have perfect peace. So what we have to do all the way through the Christian life is to put our focus and keep our focus on Jesus. The devil will get you to looking at everything but Jesus. Corey Ten Boone, that great Christian of long ago, said that if you look around at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within to yourself, you'll be depressed. But if you look to Christ, you'll be at rest. Look at this verse, Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. We quote it often because it's such an important verse. It says, Isaiah was speaking to God and he said, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then in Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 2, this is kind of the New Testament equivalent of that verse. Notice what it says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But notice the first phrase, looking unto Jesus. That word looking literally means looking away from everything else, looking away from ourselves, from our circumstances, from our problems, from our experiences, from our own prayers, looking unto Jesus. And as we look to him, we'll have peace in our hearts. And so what did I say at the beginning? I said, one of the ways that we can be a bright light in a dark world is to have a radiant countenance, a joyful, cheerful, happy countenance. But we can't just be fake about it and run around giving fake smiles to everybody. I mean, it has to come from our heart. A radiant countenance comes from a rock-solid faith. Lord, I trust you. A rock-solid faith comes from a right focus. Lord, I trust you, and my focus is on you. And as we trust in him, he's going to give us that merry heart. And what's in our hearts will eventually come out and show up on our faces. And I believe that maybe the best way we could be a witness to our community is just to have the glow of God on our lives and to have that radiant countenance on our faces. Amen. With our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, in just a moment we're going to light our candles and sing these Christmas carols. And that's the most, I guess, meaningful and exciting part of the service. But I'll tell you this. What we're doing right now is the most important part of the service, and that is giving people here an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus Christ who have never done so. Maybe you've been trusting an experience or trusting your repentance or your faith, or maybe you've been trusting a church or trusting your parents' faith, but you've, you've never really trusted Jesus. Tonight I say to you what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said, what God said through that prophet, look to me. And be saved, all the ends of the earth. That is what God is saying to you tonight. Look to me. Look to me. Don't look to religion. 
Don't look to the Baptist church or the Catholic church or the church of Christ. Don't look to that. Don't look to church procedures and bylaws. Don't look to those things. No, look to me, God said, and be saved. For those of you tonight who would like to be saved, would you pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you and you alone to be my Lord and Savior.